What Would June Daly Watkins Do acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today. We would also like to pay our respects to elders past, present and future. The fundamental ingredients that define genuine civilization are civic virtues, such as courtesy, consideration and good manners. Does what we wear really matter? What about taking a call while we're at the checkout? Or neglecting to RSVP? In a rude modern world, what would June Daly Watkins do? While the Order of Australia recipient quite literally wrote the book on manners, we're asking what that legacy really means today. Your host, Jody Bashe-McLean, has had the privilege of working with the late June Daly Watkins for over 36 years. Now, Jody is picking up the baton with one key question. Is etiquette dead and buried, or does the modern world need Miss Daly's teachings now more than ever? Today, we have the great pleasure of talking to Lisa Clifford, journalist, best-selling author, and youngest daughter of our very own June Daly Watkins. We'll be talking about manners throughout the years and why everyone can afford to have them. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, all the way from Italy, from Florence. Thanks, Jody. You're looking wonderful and fresh and, and, dare I say, a little bit steamy. It's quite warm over there at the moment, isn't it? It's very hot, yes. I'm wearing my light summer dress. It's very hot and steamy in Florence. So today we're going to tackle the sense when it comes to the importance of manners because it seems that there's almost been a bit of a flip when it comes to the social script of good manners and etiquette. And sometimes, and not often, but sometimes I get the sense that people often sneer at the thought of being someone who's behaving in a way that is sort of forming the the concept of being a person who's well-mannered is a good thing to do. So before we kick off that discussion, I thought I might ask you if you wouldn't mind telling us a quote about good manners and etiquette that means something to you, that resonates with you, something that you feel perhaps explains your thoughts and your feelings on when someone says to you, what does good manners and etiquette mean? Well, I think they said that good manners is all about consideration. And I remember years ago, Prince Charles, not, you know, that I fancy Prince Charles or anything, but I remember he said this great quote during one of his speeches. And I looked it up and it is the fundamental ingredients that define a genuine civilization, which are civic virtues, courtesy, consideration and good manners. And that's the quote that I remember hearing years ago. And I think that it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. So I'm a great fan of civic virtues. Like I really do think that civic virtues, as in on the street, out and about, shopping, in public, in a crowd. That is really where courtesy, consideration and good manners come into play. So that's why it's important for me. Mm, I agree. Do you think the concept of grace can be woven into good manners and etiquette? Um, The concept of grace in... uh, 
Well, I think, like, if we're going to talk about mum in respect of grace and being gracious were very important values to her. So she wound together the idea of grace and being gracious and they were very important values to her. Grace is important to me. I feel that, to, as you say, to be gracious and to be graceful, probably, well, not probably, they're values that have been instilled in me by June Daly Watkins. I, um, part of my learning, my learned behaviour is, you know, to be a gracious host or to be a gracious in, in the way that we treat people or to be grateful. So for me, it has been a big part of, of, of the learning that I have um, under the tutelage of June Daly Watkins. I think that you were at an advantage growing up living with June Daly Watkins, your mum, because, you know, you would have been given the opportunity to sort of see how one behaves because you, you it's the lived experience. So my question to you, was it hard to constantly be living in an environment where I imagine you couldn't have bad manners with June Daly Watkins as your mum, that she would have been very much a stickler for the rules? Was it like that growing up for you? Or was it something that it was? it just came naturally for four children living in, together and, and knowing which fork to use, for example, you know, was manners something that was a big part of your life growing up? Yeah, manners, I think, that, you know, manners were consideration and courtesy were a big part of how the four of us grew up. There were certain things that had to be done right, like setting the table. Etiquette, let's say, the protocol of setting the table had to be done correctly and if it wasn't done correctly, if the knife wasn't turned in you know, and the right progression of utensils on the placemat, mum would fix it or correct it. But I never felt that she was constantly disciplining us. And, you know, there were certain things like you don't yawn with your mouth open, you cover your mouth, you've sneezed, you know, cover your nose. But at the same time, I think it you know, with four kids, it's pretty hard to stay across it. <laughs> I mean, it's not as if you, you know, like you've got one or two, you've got four. And that's a lot of children to teach manners to. So my feeling was that she more led by example. You know, she she was like the flagship. But again, it was very generational. All of my friends came from big Catholic families and had four, five, six, seven siblings sitting around the table. And their mothers and their fathers expected them to have good manners at the table. It was an extremely generational thing of that era, I suppose, so that the table didn't descend into madness. You know, all my friends had the same, they held the same, you know, the knife and fork in the same way. You know, they offered food around the table. They never took the last bit of food that was left on the platter in the middle of the table. They asked if anybody else wanted it before they took it. So I never felt at all that manners were shoved at me or that sort of thing. I mean, I think also that mum was very, very busy. So with four children, there wasn't a lot of time to be that mother at home that is making sure that 
her children have perfect manners. She led by example. And we knew that even in front of our father, you know, if we put our elbows on the table having dinner, you know, whoa, oh, woe to you putting your elbows on the table. So there were fairly <laughs> simple things like how to put your knife and fork on the plate when you were between mouthfuls. Don't wave your knife and fork around. But again, none of my friends would do that growing up either. What about today? Are you finding, uh, I mean, firstly, may I say, learned behaviour setting and learning by example would have to be, I have to agree with you 100% because I know all four of you, you all look like you've graduated with honours from the school of elocution and elegance and all things good manners because it's innate. It almost, and I'm not saying it's because you're June Daly Watkins' daughter or children, you are all very, you are the epitome of all good things, good manners, graciousness, and you you know that you know, if that makes any sense. That So when I'm in your company, I, I it's not like I go, oh, yes, you're Miss Daly's daughter. I, there's, a, there's a sense of confidence in everything that you do. So it was growing up in that environment, I do believe it would have been probably taught more by example than actually necessarily, but, you know, Miss Daly there with a the big stick and, 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 you know, smacking the back of your hand if you didn't hold something correctly. So well, that's um, very kind of you. <laughs> but, you. But it's what I've noticed. But what about with your own children? Were you as, and, and also too, living and, and your children have been born in, in Italy. So was there a difference, do you think, in the way that you educated your children on those subjects when Nonna came to visit? Did you have to remind them of anything or was it just a sense of they are who they are and then they learned from their, their elegant, gracious mother? Who is you? Well, that's, again, that's very kind of you. Well, I think that it's a very interesting dichotomy being brought up as June Daddy Watkins' daughter and then finding myself at the table with Italians, um, an Italian mother-in-law, an Italian husband who had a completely different set of table rules, as in there were none. So... <laughs> How did you survive that? Not very well. I had to. I've had to take a deep breath a lot in my in the last twenty five years, and accept and know that one of the things about knowing good manners is that you know and others don't. So it's very important not to be judgmental. And other cultures don't have the same manners that you may have in a Western situation, um, given, you know, the way I was brought up with British table manners and British manners. I know what is right and wrong in my understanding, but to expect that other nations and other cultures have the same kind of manners is going to make your life very difficult. You know, like I can't expect a Chinese person to have the same manners that I do because I, I'm, I have completely different background and inculcated, I'm inculcated with very different set of what I were manners for my upbringing. Um, if I sat down with a group of Italians and expected them to have, I mean, they don't, you know, in Italy, you don't have a bread plate and a butter knife and you just have a loaf of bread on the table and you just have olive oil and there are many 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 differences but I did try to teach my children so that they know the, the right and the wrong in my level of understanding and from my culture's point of view so that 
I do remember Leo taking, Leo is my son, and I remember he did go out on a date with a girl. She was South African, and it was like his first date, and we gave him 50 euros to take her out for dinner or something, and it was an enormous occasion for the family. And he came home and he said to me, Mum, her table manners were really bad. <laughs> oh, like, my what? goodness. <laughs> Jindal like, oh, Watkins' okay. grandson. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> See, it's learning by example. He knows. They know. I think they, they do. Our children do know. They, they watch and even though we don't think they're taking it in, they are. And isn't that interesting that he Yeah, but at the same time, that. I hope that he wasn't, you know, judging her. And now he, he's 21, 22, he would react extremely differently to his days having bad table manners. But he, he would know, notice. He would notice because I've taught him what, for me, what is right and what is wrong. And then what he chooses to do is now up to him. And what he chooses to accept from his partner is now completely up to him. It was interesting. I read an article the other day. I get lots of Google alerts because I love to know what people are, are saying around the world when it comes to good manners and etiquette and, again, different cultures. You know, I get alerts on wedding etiquette and there's all, all different types of etiquette just to sort of – it's just interesting to view and, and understand different concepts and cultures. And there was there was a story and the journalist had written – was sort of – and I'm sort of not speaking verbatim here, but I'll sort of roughly paraphrase – they were saying that they felt that the world had been turned on its head these days because manners seem to be viewed almost as a sign of weakness, which I don't really agree with, something that sets us apart from our fellow human beings rather than being a unifying force. So what they were saying is someone, you know, people who, who practice, you know, good manners and, and etiquette are sort of separating themselves from the others because a lot of people don't see the value in it anymore and it's not something that brings us together. So I'd like to sort of get your thoughts on that. Do you think that that's the case? Having And you are someone who is, you're well-travelled, you, you've had two lives in a lot of ways with the, the enmeshing of cultures and you, I know you travel a lot. So do you feel that it's something that could create more unification amongst different cultures if we have a, a general understanding? And I think we do. But there, because there are, we can be offended even if we don't speak the language of the person we're in the company with or, you know, we're in their orbit. So my thoughts were, I didn't agree with that was my thoughts when, when I read that, that article. I'd, I'd really love to know what you think. Um, I think that, I mean, we'd have to really drill down on what they mean by manners, okay, because I think manners, good manners, is vast. There are so many layers to what is or what are good manners. And if we're going to take it into an international setting, which is definitely my setting because, you know, my husband's Italian, I live in Italy. The day after tomorrow I'm going to Finland. My son will be going to America. My daughter lives in London. You know, there's a very... I think um, you've got all bases covered there, One, yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Almost, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then you're coming back here in a few months' time. And then I'll be back in Australia in October. And I think manners, when you're travelling, is very interesting. And, probably, you know, I think it's really important to have manners when you're travelling. But what are manners when you're travelling? And I think it's patience. You know, patience is to be patient with somebody an elderly person in a line, 
to be patient and keep your place in the line and go to the back of the line. I had, uh, you know, I do step forward. Absolutely, I'm, you know, one of those feisty cows in a queue that if somebody comes up the front and says, I'm just going to ask a question, do you, um, you know, actually they never announce themselves. They go up to the front of the queue and they try and get in and ask a question. And I say, back of the line, or I'll just say politely, because another word for manners is, you know, politely, I'll just say, could you please go to the back of the line? I'm here to ask a question too. You know, so I don't, I think that, yes, a a global understanding of patience and consideration and kindness would be, would certainly make travel a lot easier. When I picked Leo, my son flew over from the Netherlands the day before yesterday and I picked him up from the Florence airport and immediately being in the arrivals lounge, I thought, here we go, I'm in the travel environment, Lisa, up your patience threshold. Because it's when people are travelling that they become impatient and, and, you know, quite strident and demanding and entitled. And those are all things that if we lift off the lid, you know, are just a lack of good manners. It would be lovely to have a global parameter of what are good manners and what are bad manners, but if we had to really discern what were good manners internationally, I would put at the top of the list patience and kindness. And the other thing that, you know, my mother advocated, she was an enormous advocate for the smile, and I've been thinking a lot about the smile and why the older she got, the more she advocated the generosity of a smile, because a smile makes the other person feel okay. That's the bottom line. It's not about you. It's about making that person feel welcome, accepted, open. You know, the smile is a very beautiful and generous gift that you can give. But in some Asian cultures, the smile is a sign of weakness. You don't smile in some Asian cultures. That is, number one, you remain sort of stoic and strong and stony-faced. And that is a sign of strength. The moment you smile, you're weak. However, I believe in what my daughter used to call the joy fairy. (laughs) My daughter, Natalia (laughs) Jun, used to skip around and say, I'm going to be the joy fairy and smile at people. And she did. You know, she would smile at old people in particular and you would just see their whole demeanour break down and they would lose the suspicion. The distrust would fall away and they would open. And that's a beautiful thing that the smile does. Oh, I agree. And it's something that... uh Miss Daly would always say to me, keep smiling, Jode, keep smiling. Can I I just pop in there too and say that, you know, there's always, you're always, this is why there are so many layers layers to it, okay? (laughs) Because a smile, if a smile and good manners is a sign of weakness, maybe it's because the woman or the man is not actually allowing themselves to be heard. Because if you have a complaint, you have something to say, you need to step up to the plate and be true to yourself and say something. Mm. 
it is mm. good to do that and not hide behind a smile with resentment simmering because resentment simmering mm. you, inside you is only going to create problems, you know, probably to the people back in your home, you know, because you're smiling to the public and then you're going to take it out with the people back home. So I think it's very important when things are tough and you don't feel like smiling to be heard to say what you need to say, but in a polite way, in a reasonable way, but don't fall back on hiding behind a smile, which is, I think, often what my mother did, to her detriment too, I think, ultimately. Mm. You have to Mm. find a balance between smiling and hiding behind a smile and not voicing, not, not saying what you feel, not saying what you think. Mm, no, I agree. Well, wholeheartedly agree. I think, and that is, it, it is generational. You know, traditionalists, they did. They, it's, you know, that saying, stiff upper lip, keep smiling, be stoic, have that, keep smiling and, and don't, don't, um, what was that saying? You, you know, a swan on the top of the lake and underneath they're pedaling, their feet are going really, really fast. They're keeping, looking as though everything is okay, but they're really quite stressed. And it's interesting. And that's a lovely segue, actually, into a question I wanted to, to ask you. For, for any of our listeners who don't know, Miss Daly wrote a book, in her autobiography, in 2002. It was called The Secrets Behind My Smile. And in the book, she, she told everyone that she was born out of wedlock in the 1920s and she was treated differently and stigmatised by her illegitimacy. And that's something that sometimes, and, and not so much today, but there were, I've heard stories about how people felt that young children who had been brought up in disadvantaged situations Perhaps that was the reasoning behind their lack of manners or their bad manners. And that's something that furiates me quite a lot, that saying that if you came from a a broken home or you were an unmarried mother, therefore you didn't have the opportunities or the chance in life to be successful. And I think those those statements are are very archaic and very old-fashioned and laughable. Was that something that Miss Daly ever talked about, how she was treated in her her younger years growing up while she was at school? And do you think that may or did that affect her in the sense of who the person she became because of those those, um, difficulties that she had in her childhood? Look, um, it's a big question. Um, there's a lot in that question and I didn't know um, growing up that she was illegitimate and I didn't fully understand how important those early years that were so incredibly difficult for her out on the farm in Tamworth in Watson's Creek, you know, being this young bastard child, as to use her own words. Growing up, I certainly didn't know and we didn't talk about it. I think she was stigmatised as a young child, but I think the feeling of that stigmatisation lasted her for the rest of her life so that her life was an inner journey from illegitimacy to legitimacy. I think that my mother was constantly striving to prove to the world and to herself that she had value and that she was a full and true and real whole person, you know. So 
I think, you know, no one knew how she felt of the four of us growing up. But I do know that she had dreams and goals and ambitions that were probably formed as a result of the upbringing that she had as an illegitimate child on a really, really backwater farm. No offence by using the word backwater. I mean, it was bush, bush, bush. So growing up in, in such a sparsely populated area was very difficult for her in that respect and she spent her life turning that on its head. She certainly did, didn't she? That's for sure. Do you think Miss Daly's School of Deportment, the June Daly Watkins School of Deportment, was a way to fight back against those prejudices, to give young women a way to do their own thing, but with grace, to make their way in the world with confidence? Absolutely. I think that all of it was internalised. I don't think that she even realised herself that by becoming probably Australia's first export supermodel and then dating Gregory Peck and turning him down, so to speak, because she wanted to come back to Australia and start her own business, I think that starting her own business gave her a purpose in life and then more and more as her life went on, teaching young girls from all walks of life, from every group uh, of faith and denomination, teaching them good manners and teaching them grace and teaching them, let's say, let's call them the rules, gave her a purpose. And if you'd had said to her earlier in life, you know, your purpose in life is going to be to lift up women of all walks of life by giving them confidence in knowing certain things in certain situations, she probably would have laughed at that. But Ultimately, creating a school of deportment gave her the perfect purpose and she lived within that purpose. And if you find your purpose in life, you really have a gift. And uh, I think she found her purpose in life through her school of deportment, yeah. I agree. I have to share with you a, um, a comment from a, a father of a, a student that we had now, this would have been in last year, so 2021. So I often will receive calls from parents telling me that the 14-year-old potential student, and, and it's not just a, a girl these days, it can be a young man, a boy, um, a teenager, they're pushing back with the parents. So the parents want them to do our personal development program, but the teenager is saying no. So they need there's quite a discussion and... And I quite like the fact that they will call me and they'll speak to our team and, and, and we encourage the teenager to come in with their parents. So the, the decision making, for example, when I did my course was my mother made that decision and I did as I was told, basically. Whereas now the young teenagers, they are making the decision and it's quite interesting. And this one young lady in, in particular was very concerned about the brainwashing that we were about to partake on with her, that we were going to teach her, and this was in 2021, how to be a better wife. I was quite taken aback that that sort of made me think, gee, I better look at our marketing strategy if that's what young teenage 
girls are thinking that we teach at JDW. And then went on that apparently her dad said, isn't that school that teaches women how to be better wives? And he had, so maybe that's where she got the, the train of thought from. And I thought that was really quite interesting. And I sort of went into protection mode and, and thought to myself, I don't think that was ever part of the curriculum that Miss Daly had originally written and um, created and, and evolved over the years, that, that learning how to be a better wife was... I know there were many journals that were printed in the 1950s that said the same, but I was I thought to myself, it, to me it's always been... She wanted... I think she said to me one time, or I read it in one of her interviews, every woman has the right to feel beautiful. I think that she was... And I believed, and I believed in that. Yeah. Mm. I think that she'd be the first person to say, I was a crap wife. Well, she was a shocking wife. So, maybe that should be part of your marketing strategy is that she's only what can absolutely stand up and scream from the rafters. I was the worst wife that ever I don't know if she'd say crap, though, Lisa. Would she say crap? I don't know. She probably wouldn't say crap, but she would laugh at me saying crap. Um, But, you know, I think that. Yeah, I think that's the stigmatisation. That's the stigma that Jean Daly Watkins has nowadays. But that is something that you and I are going to have to change about the perception of Jean Daly Watkins training girls to be good girls. Okay, because it's really, you know, the nub of it is that June Daly Watkins was always seen as somebody teaching girls to sit up straight, smile, be passive, and comply. Okay. And, and she was not like that. No, but, no, but she for wasn't. all exterior purposes, that's the way it appears. Also with the media, with girls sitting there, sitting up straight with their knees together, their ankles together, perfectly poised, you know, all of that sort of thing. It appears that these girls are being trained to be the perfect secretaries, the perfect wives, and to be good girls, to just sit down and be quiet, you know. And certainly for me, growing up as June Daly Watkins' daughter, that was a stigma that was, if we're talking about stigmas, you know, that was placed on me. I'm going to, you know, everybody had a bit of a joke, oh, I'm going to tell your mother you put your finger in the yogurt pot or I'm going to, uh, you're Jean Daly Watkins' daughter, you should know better than that, you know. Well, I did know better, but I'm allowed to break the rules. I'm allowed to do what I want. Going to June Daly Watkins and being a Daly's girl is not about being trained to be a good wife. It is, and you, you know, you're, I think, probably better at even saying what it is all about. I just know what it's like to be her, her daughter and know that my mother always encouraged me to, to be the best that I could be and to believe that I could achieve anything I wanted to. So for me, that's the nub of June Daly Watkins is that you can go anywhere you want to in this world in this life and achieve anything you want to and do not let anybody tell you otherwise. Believe in yourself, love in yourself and get out there, girl, and be it and do it and believe it. Totally that was her message to me. And here I am in Florence living a very international life, so I must have listened to her. <laughs> yes, you did. And and But 
Even today, talking to parents and I'm hearing time and time again, my my daughter, my son has been bullied. They don't have any confidence. Mm. And this is where I, I, I'm so, I, I believe so much that even more than ever, June Daly Watkins is important to young people too. Because for, if you said to me at 14 years of age, what did I gain from doing a course at June Daly Watkins? Yes, I understand how to navigate a dining situation, but what it gave me was self-confidence. And there's a catchphrase that we, it's a quote that Miss Daly often says to me, where does that, where did that come from? I said, I, I thought you said it. She said, no, I didn't say it. And it's be the best you can be. Mm. And I, I used to laugh about that. And that, and that it was always June Daly Watkins education and training, be the best you can be. And I've heard over the years, I heard your mum sort of evolve that. And it's what I say to parents today when they want to know what we're going to teach their children. What What is it? What are the outcomes going to be? And I say to them, we're going to help them discover the best version of themselves and like the skin that they're in. Yeah. Because, again, there still is that stigma out there that we are sort of doing the Stepford Wives or the cookie-cutter approach and everyone should be the same and it's about individuality but it's about liking who you are. And there are some things that we can do to make you feel better about yourself when you look in the mirror, that you like what the reflection that you see. And I think those things in Miss Daly's teachings, they haven't changed that much from when she began, but we're evolving everything and, and making it more relevant to now and, and the way that we teach is we've evolved that as well because when I did a course at 14 years of age, the, the lecturer stood in or Miss Daly, the front of the room and said, you will do this. These are the 10 commandments to be a Daly's girl. And we all wrote them down. And, and those 10 Daly's commandments are still there, but we deliver it in a different way. And the outcome is love who you are and love the skin that you're in. And I'm excited that we're still, that message is still continuing. And I guess where I'm going with this is I, I also hear in conversation that for some learning these things is a sign of that you think you're better than someone else or you're pretending to be better you're pretending to be dare I say affluent and worldly and and my question to you is does it matter where you come from what your background is who you, you know, where you grew up, all of those, those things, whether you come from, from wealth or not, does that determine whether or not you should know good manners or you should have good manners? No, it, you know, of course it doesn't determine anything to do with good manners. You know, I just feel that the social media issue has to be addressed and the sticky bits around social media. If you consider that young 14-year-old girl said that by going to Jean Daly Watkins, they were going to brainwash me, you know, 
I think to be open to learning everything is vital and understanding everything is vital. But we have to address the anxiety. Never before has has such a generation of young people, boys and girls, been so ferociously anxious. How do they like who they are? How do you switch the button? switch the switch that says you are beautiful you are absolutely special and unique and yourself and influence them in understanding how beautiful they are how unique they are because they're constantly comparing themselves to images on social media constantly comparing them and coming up short with their way of life I'm not rich enough, I'm not beautiful enough, I'm not educated enough, I am not enough. So it's about June Daddy Watkins teaching these kids, in my mind, you are more than enough. You have every single thing that you need to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. Your worth is vast. So how do we teach young children today that their worth is enormous and that they are special and unique? That is the question. Uh, and it's interesting because we are, we in this evolution of education within this June Daly Watkins space, we talk about, we ask our students to come up with their own mantras. And that's not, not new. Gratitude, journals, all of those sort of things. It's, it's a new way of, I guess, of reaffirming thoughts that our students have and we ask that they say those affirmations every day when they come into the classroom and one of them is that they look into the mirror and they say I am enough Mm. and hopefully they continue to say that when they leave us like the Ten Commandments one of them I remember from my teaching that you would never get into the front seat of a taxi cab a Dally's girl only ever got into the back seat of a taxi and even to this day, I still do the same, that you would always moisturise your elbows as well as your hands. And for me, they're things I have, have never forgotten. And I'm hoping as we evolve as a, an education and training school under Miss Daly's wisdom that we're able to, to create a, a situation where students will constantly say and look in the mirror even after they leave us, I am enough mm. and they like what they see. Yeah. And it is. It's about the exchange of, of positive reinforcing. We don't talk about weight or size or anything like that. That that we talk about being the best version of yourself. And I think that's really important. And we do touch on social media, Lisa, but it's a difficult subject because it's not going away. And we have to learn how to manage it. And I think that's what is more important in what we're doing is how to manage social media and and I don't know. I have a prediction. The more I speak with the students, the more I'm hearing that some they're not as involved, perhaps the students that are coming to us, as, as some are. They're losing favour with it. Perhaps there's going to be a new social media platform coming out. I'm not quite sure. But it's, it's there, it's alive, and um, it's finding ways to, to accept it and manage it in our lives. I think it's difficult. I think it's difficult for parents because they watch what their children go through when through this social media storm. Yeah. It's terrible. Definitely something we have to live with. Um, you know, I brought up teenagers in a world of social media, but I did 
you know, I, at the end of the day, I, I really am June Dolly Watkins' daughter because when certain things happen in social situations, as in uh, they're constantly checking their phone, they're not engaged with me in the conversation, or a person is walking down the street so involved in their conversation they don't move aside, or as we've discussed too in the past, talking on a loudspeaker on a train or on a bus or in a crowded area or even just talking. I'm constantly stunned at the personal details that are, that are revealed to the entire bus, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, like I'd hardly even talk to my girlfriends about that, let alone loudspeaker it across the passengers of the bus, you know. So, you know, I raised my children with this saying to be sensitive to what those around you are thinking and feeling. And Mm. I just constantly Mm. said it to them, be sensitive. You don't know what they're thinking or feeling. You can't assume what they're thinking or feeling, but you can be sensitive to the people who are around you. It's not just you. Mm. We are connected to all of these people in the crowd. We're connected to the person on the street. Please show respect and you do your best as a parent and then you just let go and then launch them into the world. And you do and they will because I think they do. They, they don't like to necessarily let you know that they're doing it because it's, you know, that would be a win-win for a parent and, and they have to see us suffer just a little bit that they're not following what we think are all the rules. But I think, I think our children do. I think they go out and they are the next generation that hopefully will create the change because when they see people who are kind and and, and thoughtful and their behaviour is reflective of what they have learned, maybe when they see that behaviour, that the ones who aren't displaying those tendencies, maybe they'll look at that and think, oh, that made me feel seen or appreciated or heard or whatever, maybe they will do it the next time because unfortunately we can't all go around and be the etiquette police as much as we'd like to and correct people on their behaviours because we can't. I say, I often say to our students, you be the change and I'm taking that from someone very famous, but you be the change. You you continue to do these things and display these these kindness, kindnesses, these behaviours to others that maybe it will make a difference and I hope it does because I really believe that Miss Daly has left an indelible mark on Australian society and our culture and I'm looking forward to getting back to the heart of her values and continuing to to tell the world that it really does matter. It, it does matter how we treat one another. It does matter. It may not matter as much to know how to navigate the dining situation but I think kindness and courtesy is what's going to help us in in years to come that we can learn you know I often say and I've said this before there's a wonderful quote that I have on the signature on my email and it says if you can be one thing in this world be kind maybe that's what we can take away with us yeah yeah and it really doesn't matter if you're being kind and you're being considerate and you're worried about what other people will think, don't worry about what people think. You're doing the right thing. You're being guided by your own values. And the values that you are navigating your life with are good values. 
So don't worry about what anybody else thinks about you being kind and considerate and well-mannered. You're all right. You're doing fine. So are you doing fine, Lisa? I I hear there's a a few exciting things happening in your life. And I I don't know where I heard it. Little Bird told me there's a a book on the cards, perhaps? Mm. Is there something happening in in your world? And, And I also hear there's... Plans for the writing school to come to Australia well, sometime yeah, I mean, in the future? A lot of Australians really do know about me, although the Women's Weekly did run a page and a half on me, which was really very kind of them, because uh, the sort of work that I do in Florence is I, I write books and I'm on my fifth book now and I write books under my name, which is Lisa Clifford, and people don't associate this Lisa Clifford with June Daly Watkins, so very few people know that she's actually my mum. But I run uh, retreats here, Art of Writing. My business is called The Art of Writing. And uh, every summer in Europe, I run uh, retreats for people who write, who love writing. You know, they just love words, love to express themselves. Maybe they're thinking about writing a memoir. Maybe they're doing a non-fiction or a fiction. They've, they've always wanted to write. They love writing. And so I... I bring in professionals and I teach as well and I'd very much like to bring what I have discovered and honed over the years here in Europe to Australia. So yes, I would love to run an art of writing in Brisbane actually. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about running an art of writing in um, January in Brisbane. I think it's very exciting and I'm, I'm super, super excited to come back to Australia and spend more time there. It's been 25 years I've been in Europe and it's time to come home. We can't wait to see you. Lisa, it's been absolutely lovely to catch up with you and I am so looking forward to seeing you and hearing more from you later in the year. And I would love if you would allow us to perhaps we could put the link in our bio just to, to your website Uh, so people can learn more about you and the wonderful books that you've written and perhaps keep up to to speed with the news of when the writing school may come out to Australia in 2023. (laughs) Thanks, Jodie. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love talking about this sort of thing. I mean, I really do. It's just fires me me up. I love talking to you. Thanks, Jodie, so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on What Would June Daly Watkins Do? Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode.